You're listening to a Church Doctor production. You're listening to the Big Church, Small Church podcast with John Hunter. Conversations and tips for churches to engage in outreach communities to reach new people for God in your neighborhood. Welcome to the Big Church, Small Church podcast. Today I've got a special guest, uh, Pastor Jeff. Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, would you like to just give us a little introduction about yourself? Yeah, hey, uh, John, thanks for having me on here. It's uh, so good uh, to be able to join you. Um, yeah, as, as John said, I'm, I'm Jeff Woolheater, I'm actually um, from Northeast Indiana and uh, grew up on a farm in Northeast Indiana and went to Purdue University to study, study agriculture. And while there, God called me uh, into the ministry and we actually went down to Jackson, Mississippi for seminary, and while there, um, really sensed the call towards church planting. And uh, while we actually never expected to, to come back up in this area, uh, God um, called us to plant in Kinderville, Indiana, back in uh, 2006 is when we moved, Memorial Day weekend of 2006, we moved uh, to Kinderville uh, to begin the process of, of planting uh, Bridgeway Evangelical Church, and um, was there in, in, until um, through 2018, so uh, 12 years uh, of uh, after planting, you know, uh, a church and growing a church from taking it from meeting in a, a temporary location for five years where we set up and tore down uh, to a church building and uh, all the things that, that go uh, with that, so yeah, that's a little bit of our, our past uh, uh, story. Awesome. And what are you doing now? You're, you're planting another church. And, and tell us a little bit about that journey, um, what you kind of learned um, between church plants about yourself and about God's kingdom and all the research you did. Yeah. It, um, you know, to, to back up just a little bit, um, you know, near the end of our time at our, our church in Kinderville, um, we just started um, feeling the Lord um, speaking to us to, to plant again. And, and had it been a few years before that, we would have been like, no way, I'm not doing that again. Um, if anyone's listening has, has ever planted a church, they know a lot of the, the struggles and trials that, that go with that. Uh, but the Lord had really started to stir our heart. And, um, you know, we... It, pastoring an existing church is the church was you know over 10 years old and it's different from planting and, and a lot of our gifts find leadership style the more pioneering type leadership and and so just uh, through godly counsel in our lives and through listening to god we felt that god was calling us to plant again and and so it was difficult to, to leave a lead a leave a church we'd been at for over 10 years and the relationships and a very fruitful ministry. Uh, many people um, in that church uh, came to Christ uh, through our ministry, and but um, we sensed the, the call to to leave and and start planting again. And, and I intentionally took a year um, to before really diving into planting again. We didn't want to just plant a church just to plant a church again, um, but we wanted to. There was two things um, that we really. Uh, focused on and and one was understanding the culture that we live in today and two is really studying the gospels again and understanding the principles 
of discipleship that Jesus used to make disciples. And then from those two things, taking the principles and applying them to our current culture that we live in today. And uh, so I can dive in a little bit of, of what we, we found. Mm. Um, you know, one, uh, the culture, uh, it, you know, I, man, I never really studied culture. And, and so I started to look at the history of culture and, and found, and I'll try to do this really quickly, but there's three macro cultures that we see in the last 2000 years. Um, back in Jesus's day, um, 2,000 years ago, it, most cultures were, were pagan cultures. Um, the culture, you know, most people worshipped multiple gods. And, you know, you look at the Roman gods and the Greek gods and, you know, wherever, even here in there, you know, that um, Native Americans uh, worship many gods. You know, almost all the cultures uh, were more pagan and worshipping many gods. And then um, around 300 um, A.D., uh, Constantine was the emperor, and, and many of you know your history of, of that, uh, converts to Christianity, he, at least in name he did, um, whether he actually did, but it, because he recognized that um, Christianity was was just growing, I mean, uh, by leaps and bounds, and um, history tells us, you know, um, that I think by that time there was like 30 million Christians and um, Christianity was just spreading. And so even if he hadn't didn't officially, uh, you know, spiritually convert, he converted in word because you can't join him. You can't beat him, join him. And, and we see at that point the, the church and the state kind of merge and money starts pouring in. That's when we start seeing cathedrals coming up and the expansion of Christianity, uh, even more so in Europe and um, the Roman Catholic Church, and but there's a merger there with the with the state, and and we really we we start to see a, a Christian culture uh, that comes out, and and whether you were truly born again Christian or not, most people in that culture believe there is one God, and um, that one God created the heavens and the earth, and He has a Son named Jesus uh, who came uh, to and died and rose again, and and so there's this general whether you're even again a born again Christian, you have that belief. And that's where the United States was founded in that Christian culture. You know, often we, we talk about United States being founded as a Christian nation. Uh, I would say more it was founded as a Christian culture nation. Um, you know, a lot of our founding fathers, some weren't, weren't even truly believers, they, but they believed mm. the basic tenets of Christianity. And, and that's how we were founded. But one of the things, the third macro culture would be a post-Christian culture. And uh, where the pagan culture believed in many gods, the Christian culture in one God, the post-Christian culture in no gods, or I myself am God. Um, okay. what, it, what, what, is, what I say is true is true for me, and what you say is true is true for you. And really a rejection of authority, um, you know, and they're not wanting that authority. So we see, you know, a decrease in, you know, interest in the church and and we think well, it's that authority in the church but even with with uh, government and police um you know uh there's there's that post-christian culture um there's a, a rejection of authority and, and really i am my own god mm. um so the that was really helpful for me to understand um uh our current um culture and so if we even jump back, you know, 
often we think in the uh, in the founding of our, our country, many people were, were Christians and churchgoers. And, and I think statistics say 18 to 25% of people attended church in the founding of our country. In fact, the, the highest percentage of church attendance in the United States was in the, the 40s and 50s. Um, and But what came out uh, of, you know, we know what comes in the 60s was the hippie movement and the sexual revolution. And what we see happening is um, people, the, the church attendance starting to decline and uh, with that culture and people wanting to reach people for Jesus, a great thing. And so we have the church growth movement that happens and people like Peter Wagner, Donald McGavran, they were missionaries who in the mission field, they found cultural bridges to connect with um, their, their, the, typically a pagan culture and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they came back and they said, hey, how can we connect with this evolving culture in the United States? Let's build bridges. And so we see the, the seeker sensitive um, churches starting um, to come up and how can we connect with the culture and, 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 and that. And that worked uh, because our culture was, a, uh, the United States was a Christian culture enough. You know, there were people like, man, I should get my kids in church or, you know, I should probably go back to church. I haven't been there for years, but I should get back. And so, hey, here's a hip happening church and they play some cool music and they, uh, you know, play contemporary church and I really enjoy it. Uh, unlike uh, the church I grew up in that was more liturgical and, you know, kind of boring. And so we see people who, who certainly came to faith um, through Jesus Christ uh, because of that movement. But what we also see is in Europe, um, who usually is a little bit ahead of us, 20, I'd say even 20, 30 years sometimes in, in culture, and more po post-Christian culture, that movement didn't really work in, in Europe uh, because people were so disinterested in church or Jesus because they'd moved on from the Christian culture there wasn't like, oh, I should probably get in church or uh, be good for my kids. It was like, I could care less about church. I could care less about Jesus. And, and so we don't see um, that um, seeker-sensitive uh, church growth movement uh, being very effective um, in Europe uh, because they were so post-Christian. So what difference did all of that make in terms of um, you studied the culture and then um, what does that make, uh, difference does it make in terms of how you plant now? Like you studied that, you studied culture, Yeah. You obviously want to contextualize your church, yeah. but how, how does that look different? Yeah. So yeah, every, I mean, understanding the culture is, is so important. So let me go into what I learned uh, about Jesus and discipleship. Um, so, you know, one of the things Jesus as I, as we just kept studying Jesus, he didn't convince people to follow him. He called people to follow him and he found discipleable people. Well, how do you know if someone's discipleable? Well, when he said, follow me and they start following him, well, they're starting, they're discipleable. They're starting on the discipleship process. And there were certainly people that he called that didn't follow him. I mean, one great example is the rich young ruler. Um, he, you know, he said, you know, sell all, you, all your possessions, give to the poor and then come follow me. And, you know, he said, no, uh, he didn't follow him. He wasn't discipleable. And so Jesus had people that started following him 
And uh, sure, his miracles were attractive. I mean, even his teaching, you could see he taught as one with authority, mm-hmm. yet his teaching was very hard. Um, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can, you know, like, what? what is he? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the people then. Like, what is he talking about? Or unless you hate your mom and dad and your brother and sister, you cannot follow me. Or you must take up your cross daily. You know, his teachings were very hard. Um, and, and people, we see out throughout scriptures, times when people stop following him. Even Peter asked, uh, uh, or Jesus asked Peter, are you, you going to leave me too? Or are you the disciples? And like, where would we go? But because people are, are not following him. Um, so it wasn't this, uh, like, let's do everything we can to attract people um, to, to, to us, uh, like, or Jesus's ministry. Um, he, he just, if, if someone stopped following, he didn't try to convince them, uh, to stay with, give me another week, give me another month. Uh, he just kept doing what he was doing, teaching and, and stuff. And so learning the, the finding discipleable people was one of the key things that I see in the life of Jesus. Um, and, you know, as he called the disciples that followed him, they were discipleable. Um, and, and so you look at our culture today, um, the, the studies show that approximately 70% of millennials or Gen Zers, um, so basically anyone under the age of 40, 70% won't uh, go to church even if invited. Wow. And so we have often made our, our biggest evangelistic practice inviting people to church. And if we can get them to church, they can hear a gospel presentation from the pastor or the youth leader or, or whatever it may be. Well, if there's 70% of the younger unchurched generation that, that won't come to church even if invited, we have to find ways outside of a church event to reach them. And um, so learning how to have spiritual conversations uh, to find people who are discipleable, who will lean in. And we see that with Jesus. He, one of the ways, the main ways Jesus has spiritual conversations is asking questions. Um, you know, as simple as at the woman at the well, hey, will you give me a drink of water or give me a drink of water? He starts out with a question. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in, in, I think, John 4 and John 5. Uh, there's the the guy at the the pool of Bethsaida who for 38 years has, you know, been uh, infilled and he can't get into the water. And and uh, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Sounds like a strange question. Well, of course he does. But how many of us get comfortable in our uh, brokenness or in our unhealth? <laughs> um, and, and, and so Jesus just would ask questions. And if people ask him a question, he would ask a question back. And that's where we get to the heart of people. A, a pastor once told me about this. He said, when people come and ask me, um, what time is your church service? He said, I used to say 10 o'clock. And they would say, okay, thank you. He goes, but what I do now is I say, why are you asking? And they may say, well, you know, we think the kids need to be in church or my, my wife and I just feel like it'd be good for our marriage. Then he asked another question why do you think your kids need to be in church? Or why do you think it would help your, you know, getting deeper into the conversation and you start to hear people's hearts and, Mm. you know, answering questions often ends conversation, asking questions goes deeper into the the conversation. And and so in this 
as we understand the post-Christian culture that that has a negative view of, of church, um, views really truth found in, in myself and what I feel or what I want, um, but everyone has a spiritual need. And so learning how to have spiritual conversations, which like I said, a lot of just asking questions. And what you do is you intertwine. I mean, your story is going to have Jesus in it. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope it does. Um, you know, and so naturally at some point, you know, Jesus should come up in your conversations with somebody um, that you're growing closer to. And those people who lean in, um, those are the people um, that you really um, try to focus on into reaching for the kingdom. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think that, yeah, we're all called to be, every single person is called to be a witness. And mm -hmm. uh, I think we do that by, yeah, asking questions, having those God, what I'd call simply like a God conversation, right? Yeah. You know, first Peter three fifteen it says, you know, always have a, you know, a reason to, to share your faith. And, and, you know, that's, you know, not only a sharing, but also listening, asking questions. Like, I mean, that's how Jesus modeled it. And you do, you get to the root by asking deeper and deeper questions. I think often in our culture, we're just so busy. Oh, you know, we're just trying to get people to something rather than taking the time and entering deep in life with them. Yeah. And we think we have to have answers. Um, and so a lot of times we won't go into a spiritual conversation because I don't know all the answers. I don't know my Bible well enough. Or I don't know how to, people aren't, especially the younger generation, they're not looking for someone who knows all the answers. They're looking for someone who's authentic. Yeah. And uh, so just having a, a conversation with someone and when they ask something, you may not know the answer to He's like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out or I can get back to you. You know, we don't have to have all the answers. Um, it's better to have questions than answers uh, often when it comes to spiritual conversations. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Don't feel like you have to be equipped with everything before you go do it or else you'll never go. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. Okay. So you did all the, you did research on Jesus. Yeah. You did research on your cult, culture. What does it look differently now? So you planted very much like kind of a typical church of what we think about a church plant before. Yeah. And, but like, what does that look different based on your research now? What does your like week look like and how has it radically changed you? Yeah. So um, just the, the first church we planted, I would call it more of an attractional model. Um, so we plant with a good communicator as a pastor, uh, a good worship team, a good children's program, a good space, whether that be at a, at a school or, or somewhere. And you start Sunday morning services and you attract people in uh, to those services through, you know, whether it's the preaching, the music, the children's program, uh, advertisement, marketing, and nothing wrong with, with all that stuff. And, and that's been effective. Uh, but what we're, we're finding nowadays, when you plan a church like that, you're attracting more church people than unchurched people, people who are disgruntled with their church and like, oh, here's a, a new church in town that's pretty cool and got a great pastor and a you know, great children's program. And so those churches typically now are more and more reaching church people um, because, like I said, the younger generation isn't even coming to church, even if invited. And so, um, then when we would attract people in, then we would try to make disciples. Okay, you need to get involved in a small group. You need to get involved in a, in a ministry. 
you know, whether it's greeting or serving uh, the poor or whatever it may be, and then trying to make disciples. So we're kind of flipping that around, um, which I think is a little bit more biblical. Um, and let's make disciples and get a culture of discipleship and discipleship multiplication um, before we ever start Sunday morning. Uh, because again, in America, what we see is once you start a Sunday morning, it becomes everything. Um, all your focus goes to Sunday morning, even as a pastor, from preparing the sermon to the order of service to, you know, maybe helping with the songs or if you have Sunday school or something. I mean, I, I was probably spending 70, 75% of my time towards Sunday morning and disciples aren't made on Sunday morning. Um, that's not where true discipleship happens. And that's more of a one way I'm receiving at church uh, information but I'm not really being made into a disciple. Right. And so before, I'm not saying we aren't going to start Sunday mornings, but getting a culture of discipleship and discipleship multiplication before you ever start Sunday morning, um, or I think you'll never get to that point. So what does that look like now? Um, it's, again, finding discipleable people. Um, J Luke 9 and Luke 10 has been some key um, scripture for me. Luke 9, Jesus sends out, the 12, two by two. And in Luke 10, he sends out the 72, two by two. And he says, don't take anything with you. No food, no staff, uh, no extra clothes, you know, and such a, like basically saying, you need to trust in me um, to do what I'm calling you to do. Um, what we often do in the church today is uh, we got to entertain people. Uh, we got to provide something fun, something exciting. Um, have coffee, let's get, you know, let's use that to attract people to us. And Jesus says, don't take anything extra. In fact, go to, a, find a house in the city you go to. If your peace um, rests on them, stay with that one person. Don't move around and they will take care of you. They'll feed you. So instead of us feeding people, they're actually feeding us. And, and, and Jesus says, don't move around from, from house to house. Stay with the one house. And basically, reach that that house that person that person of peace or discipleable person because they will then reach their sphere of in, influence um it's called oikos a, a household but household was more than just a, a immediate family with the people around them extended family and even people of influence that they have influence over so focus we always try to reach a lot of people how many people can I reach for jesus well jesus he had 12 disciples um, so he wasn't, I mean, he had crowds, but there was really 12 people he was discipling and he lost one of those in the end. Mm. Um, I think Jesus is, is teaching us the principle of the fewer is better. If I can disciple a few people who are true disciples, they'll make disciples, they'll reach their sphere of influence. So stay in the one house, disciple that person. You're going to be out going out ministry, take that person with you, but you're staying with that one person. You're really discipling them. And so what we're doing, uh, the model we're using or strategy really is finding discipleable people. That's through conversations, um, asking questions. So we're working um, part-time jobs. I, I would say we're, we're co-vocational. Uh, the term used to be bivocational. We, call, we like to call it co-vocational because co means it's a vocation that's helping us with ministry, not just a, a vocation that gives us income and then we can go ministry. Because 
what I think God is asking of all of us as disciples is there's no separation from ministry to, to secular. Um, everything we do um, is a part of, of his kingdom. And so, um, you know, I'm working with my, my, with my brother on the farm and the connections I make with that, I'm working at a school part-time. Uh, I'm hoping to, to coach basketball um, this fall. Um, we're doing a farmer's market. Um, and so all those things uh, connect us with people. And then we, we just find people who are discipleable through those conversations. Uh, we partner with a church two miles down the road. And through that, uh, having conversations with people who are the discipleable people. And then getting a group, a small group of those who we're going to train, um, those who are really discipleable, how to have spiritual conversations, how to make disciples, and how to get that culture of discipleship. Because when, when someone comes to, to Christ, say I reach a, an unchurched person, um, they're going to be able to reach their friends better than I am. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, you know, start discipling them and they're going to have questions. Now I could, from my seminary brain that I supposedly learned a lot from, I did learn some, but um, we have a lot in, in our heads as pastors that we could teach people. But I constantly go to the Bible. Well, let's, let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what the Bible says about your marriage that you're struggling in or, or addiction or whatever it may be. And what you're teaching them is the answers in the Bible. So that when someone comes to faith through their influence, they can disciple. They don't have to have all the answers because you've taught them the answers are in the Bible. You just have to have a Bible. And, um, and getting that, that multiplication uh, of discipleship going and reaching your sphere of influence. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of rambled a little bit there, no, but hopefully it makes a little bit of sense. No, absolutely. So, um, yeah, what are some what are some of the stories, or what are some of the examples of what this looks like in, in detail? Like, is there somebody that you that you're investing in where they're kind of you said like they're they they're open to a network? Is there somebody that you have started to do that with that has been then again sharing their faith with a network or, or starting to disciple other people? Yeah, so we're at the very beginning stages, and it's in this process, this strategy is a slower one. And, and, and as Americans, we like things fast, um, like you know, especially for church planning. Like, let's get a, a, a place, let's get going Sunday mornings, let's attract people in. This strategy is a slower strategy, but I believe once you get that DNA of discipleship and discipleship multiplication. And, and then it, it just, it'll eventually, ex, you know, grow exponentially, um, it, but it, it's slow at first. And so we're, you know, we're, um, you know, still, you know, this year, beginning of this year, we, we settled in, um, but really back at my home. I'm living actually back home. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, God changed plans on us. And, and so we have some relationships that are already here. But um, so we're starting to, to connect with people. Um, found one guy um, that I'm discipling and meeting with on, on, on a regular basis who has the gift of evangelism. And he, he can have a Jesus conversation with about anybody. Uh, sometimes those are art, uh, uh, awkward, you know, for some of us to just talk about Jesus with a. But he, he's able to, because of his gift of evangelism. And so helping him discern who are the, those that are disciples? Well, not ones that are just, you know, talking 
about Jesus with you, but who are really leaning in when you um, start talking about Jesus and forming a group um, with them? And so we're at the beginning stages of that. Um, we are finding those, a lot of the people we're connecting with are believers who I would say, and your, your dad uses this phrase, the holy discontent um, with the way things are going right now, the way church in America is, is not really making disciples. We often make converts, but are we really making disciples? And so we've got a group of people that actually this fall um, we'll be starting uh, our first group. We call it an accelerate gathering. Um, and really a lot of it is detox from cultural Christianity that it's about Sunday morning. It's about money. It's about numbers. Um, to what are the principles that Jesus values that Jesus are important, uh, were important for him. And really detoxing from cultural Christianity to Jesus following Christianity. Um, and then, it, uh, again, it's about discipleship, learning how to have those spiritual conversations, finding disciple people. So we're all, we're really, John, in the very beginning stages, um, still figuring it out. And um, learning, the other thing is so key in this, learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, it, it, you know, I, we, in my tradition, we talk about a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and living a Spirit-filled life, but not so much about living a Spirit-led life. And when you live a Spirit-led life, God asks you to do things that just aren't normal. <laughs> Um, and I've done things in the last year and a half that I would have counseled people against doing as a pastor. I mean, we left um, our previous church and didn't, we had a couple part-time jobs, but we weren't making enough to pay all our bills. And I, it struggled. I, I need to get a full-time job. I, I need to, to take care of my family. And God said, no, do these part-time things. And part of what we were doing was going to conferences and of doing some learning and having a full-time job we couldn't have done some of the stuff that we felt we, he was asking us to do every month we would have a budget meeting there would be tears often um and like how are we going to pay this and god would show up and that became the norm i mean one time we had we had all our bills and our checkbook in the middle of the table my four kids my wife and i would put our hands on on them and said god you've asked us to do this you're going to provide and within a week we had we had over $2,000 of bill at that particular moment and he wow. covered all of them. And uh, still to this day, this just happened last night, a guy I have not seen in 15 years that attended my church in Jackson, Mississippi that we went to lives in Tennessee. Now looked us up, found um, Bridgeway, the previous church I had planted called, got a hold of the pastor there, he thought I was still there, said, hey, I'm looking for Jeff Woolheater. And um, Pastor Josh gives him my, my phone number, or actually gave me his phone number. He said, you have Jeff call me. I called him last night, and he said, God put you, me on your heart. I, um, I'm gonna, I, I feel like I'm supposed to send you $1,000. Oh, my gosh. Like someone I haven't seen in 15 years. Like, it's, it's stuff like that. And God just keeps – Yeah. and I think it's – you know, when we just live a spirit-led life, trusting him, um, it's hard, but it, it's fun and exciting. Um, but th those are, have become more the norm than, 
has been the exception. Yeah, no, that is so cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing today. Unfortunately, uh, we are out of time, but I, it's so inspiring for what you're doing. I hope that you guys who are listening um, have been able to hear the stories here, the research that, that Pastor Jeff has done and can take something away and, and, and really implement something into your life, whether that uh, looks like getting involved in God conversations in your, in, within your church or stepping out and doing something uh, like discipling somebody like, like, uh, like Jeff is. Um, be spirit-led, listen to God and go for it and, and reach those who um, don't know Jesus yet. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff, for all your time. And I uh, really appreciate you being with us today. Hey, no problem. It was great to, to be with you and um, hope that what I had to share about is helpful for those listening. All right, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Big Church, Small Church Podcast, a Church Doctor Ministries production. To download the show notes, go to thesendmovement.com. For questions, coaching, or other network opportunities, contact John Hunter at J-O-N-H-U-N-T-E-R at churchdoctor.org. If you've liked this episode, please give a review, subscribe, and share it on your social media platforms. 